Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April. Looking for my buddy, Seth. Seth, are you out there? Hey, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, We're a little off schedule here. We're recording this on a Wednesday because you're going to get out of here. I still might not get it posted till Friday, but it uh, feels a little bit different to be doing this in the middle of the week. This is true. This yeah. is true. It's yeah. usually our uh, end of the week party doing a podcast <laughs> wrap it up for the weekend kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly well thanks for being flexible i appreciate it ah no worries yeah i hope you have a uh, a nice vacation should be you guys have had it super cold so it'll be nice to get to some warm weather yeah i'm looking forward to it getting away from the snow getting mm-hmm. to the sun um although it has warmed up here uh, oddly this week so it's not as unbearable um as it has been but we've had quite a few storms so it'll be nice it'll be nice Good. So, well, what's on tap this week? Oh, on tap this week. All right. So I'm going to say this. Fake news, mm. which people are probably darn sick of hearing um, by now. But it's been an interesting couple of months, even before that, during the campaign, obviously, uh, with this fake news phenomenon that's been going on. And it's really, uh, it's disturbing on a lot of levels. Uh, it's had uh, the effect of, I think, swaying public opinion on many matters, political and policy-wise. I think it's had the effect of dividing the country even more than they are, because one faction is reading that set of fake news, and the other is reading that set of fake news, and nobody intersects. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's a real problem right now, and it's got me thinking. Uh, I've been thinking not only on the impact it's having on journalism, which is my roots, uh, and the impact it's having on the public as a whole, but what are some of the potential other uh, areas that fake news could bleed into? And, of course, I'm thinking about where we live in the IT industry and companies that buy and sell technology products and services and how they operate and how they market themselves. And I think if you speak historically, uh, most of the companies in our world, in the IT industry, tend to play nice publicly, that is. I mean, obviously, it's a very competitive space, and, and companies are always trying to one-up one another. But when it comes to public statements, particularly to the media or even to the analyst community, what I have found in my experience over the years is that companies uh, tend to want to play up their strengths and when asked about their competitors will uh, shy away from any sort of bad mouthing or derogative statements and you know, they tend to play it clean and I and, and so this again got me thinking well what if this fake news thing could started to take hold or seep into what this long-standing courtesy that I think has gone on in our industry and you could envision a situation where uh, one company who of IT products, I won't name names, but just say, I mean, a company X, who's a big platform provider or a big cloud provider, or whomever, uh, who has in a heated battle with another company, could start putting out, you know, just statements. You know, so and so's products are hackable. Let's just put that one out there. Yep, we've tested them in our labs, and they're telling the media this when they're being interviewed. Yes, that's that's the truth. So, and it's not the truth. So the other company is now in a position of having to defend themselves there and call it fake news. And I think that that could be somewhat disturbing. Um, you know, maybe my brain is just extrapolating a little bit too much, but I, I honestly, I, I can't put, I, I don't know what could potentially happen in the corporate world after watching what's happening in our public arena. Mm-hmm. Maybe to level set a little bit or just to step back, where do you think the the fake news came from or why why was there a spike in it because i've thought about it a little bit and 
for a long time, we've kind of had people, you know, running around and, and people will jokingly say, well, you know, it's true because you read it on the Internet. But part of this fake news thing is that people actually believe it's true because they read it on the Internet. And and so where did it change from a, a joke to to becoming something real? And I, I think there are more malicious intent behind some of these things. I think you've got people very proactively trying to sow confusion and misinformation um, versus maybe some some places where it was clear that it's just someone's opinion. But this might not be something that we want to completely unravel here in this this week. But what what's changed for people in that, that made this fake news thing take hold a little bit more in in the recent past few months or so? Well, you know, not to be political here, but I quite honestly, I have to lay the blame at the feet of the campaign that we've just gone through and uh, how it was conducted. And, you know, there, I, I feel as though there has been a very um, concerted effort to turn this from something of a joke, as you said, where everyone says, oh, if you read it on the internet, it must be true, to institutionalized use of the term fake news and you know psychologically that you know you always hear if something is repeated over and over and over again as fact it becomes fact in people's minds um, that's classic propaganda as we've seen through history and I think that this has been a technique of, of our our administration that was with our in our new administration and it's effective among their supporters, but I, I fear that it's becoming effective about, you know, among a, a larger group, potentially. And the technique itself is something, this is what I fear the most, that the technique, if it's seen as effective, could be then used in other uh, arenas, like I said, in the corporate world, in, you know, wherever, uh, name a different industry, could say, hey, this is working for this group. Well, let's try it. It might work for us. Um, so, you know, not to lay the blame all on politics, but I have to say, it, you know, the, the correlation is there for when this became a much bigger deal than simply a joke. Right. It, that that was definitely, I think, the flashpoint for getting this kind of top of mind for everybody. And you can probably run into people in the street and, and mention this and they'll they'll know what we're, you're talking about. I think it does have a lot of really interesting psychological repercussions now that I, we know that people are kind of in an echo chamber and, and they read the opinions that matter to them. And if they read something that doesn't matter to them now or that they don't quite believe now they're probably pretty likely to write it off as as fake news. And so I think that we do have a situation where this tactic is effective. So to get to the point that you brought up, like when might we start seeing this pop up in industry? I think that gets to, you know, the, the ethics of different organizations and different functions. Uh, journalism has always had a, a strong ethical backbone certain precepts that they really rely on when they're sourcing their stories or writing their stories. I don't know exactly how much that same type of thing translates to like a marketing department or, or a sales team, you know, beyond just basic ethics and business. But you could see where that conversation starts to come up a little bit more. Like, you know, what should be the ethics here? Um, what What is responsible behavior? You sent me an article today and, and one of the early points in that article was marketing almost by definition 
has always kind of obfuscated a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so now I think that comes under a little bit more scrutiny. And you know, to what extent can you still kind of say, "Hey, we're the best ever," uh, without being able to back it up a little bit? Um, or what language do do you want to use? And so that'll be an interesting thread to watch going forward. Is do you have some kind of regulation, maybe not you know industry to industry, but almost function to function, where maybe a marketing association or something like that starts to have this conversation and say, here's how we should behave. Yeah, I, I do think there needs to be an ethics ethics discussion outside of the, the realm of journalism as well. And I, that article that I did send you, I thought was very interesting. One of the things they keyed in on was research integrity. So we work in the research world uh, and a lot of claims that are made by companies, they typically will try to back up those claims of having some sort of data that, that is, is from a third party source. And the article here said that there are so many ways that marketing departments and agencies can get around um, just how valid that data is or how from a methodology standpoint, how statistically real it is. And Journalism today is stretched so thin and and there's a lot of uh, different demands on their business models today that they're no longer able to do a lot of the due diligence to fact check some of those things. And I think we're seeing more of that. I think we're seeing an actual resurgence in journalism doing more due diligence because of what's been going on uh, with our current political environment. But from from a marketing perspective, uh, I think there needs to be some ethics uh, around what companies do in terms of how they promote themselves and the claims that they make and make sure that the research that they're using to back up some of those claims is statistically valid. Because just tossing it out there uh, when it's weak research and calling it a fact, that's fake news. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is. And if people are consuming that and believing it, then we've got a whole world of a mess, I think, um, in corporate America. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. I think, you know, you talk about ethics and, and I know we want to talk a little bit about how do we instill those sort of ethics and, and attitudes uh, in the tech industry among younger people in the school systems. And I think it, it does need to start there. I, I think you're you're right about the sort of recent surge in journalism, trying to do more due diligence, uh, maybe almost trying to get back to their roots, trying to do what they feel like they should have been doing rather than... Um, getting clicks and and obviously the the economics of all of that are are very complex uh, and driving a lot of the uh, behavior that that people have but I think we will need to see um, some of that and I, I think we will continue to see people being aware that these this type of behavior and these tactics are out there and looking for guidelines or, or ways that you should market your, your products, especially when it comes to social media. If you're just dealing with Twitter, 140 characters, you know, how careful do you have to be and what should the language be there? And I, I think that will be, be something that we'll see more of and, and more discussions around proper behavior um, so that you're not leading people astray. Uh, yeah, we've always had a buyer beware, you know, consumer message. Um, and I, I don't think that's perennial. That's always been around. I think, though, just to give a little plug to the channel here is in this new world where we may be where buyer beware may take on an even more important role because they may not be necessarily getting an accurate picture of the solution or service that they're going to buy. The third party channel players um, and consultants, you know, they play an important role here in making sure that they sort through facts and fiction for their customers. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and then the other part of the equation, like you mentioned, is the the end user. You know, the the, the buyer. What what are the responsibilities there? Whether they're reading, you know, political news or or marketing copy or whatever they're reading. It feels like the responsibility there is is moving up uh, and growing, and and that people now have to do some of their own fact checking. And I think that this is part and parcel of of people being happy that they can consume more information and being happy that they have access to more information. If you're consuming that information, and, and if there are so many more sources that you can get it from then if you are going to act on that information or if you're going to form your beliefs on it, then you have to do some of your own work. And there's much more ability to do some of your own work than there ever was before. But then the question becomes, you know, how exactly should they go about doing that? And, and that's maybe the second thing that we want to talk about here is how are we educating people to describe to them, this is the world that we live in now it's become a lot more digital uh, and behaviors have changed and societal norms have changed. And as individuals, we have to respond to that and we have to be uh, educated and informed and, and literate with some of these things in, in many different respects. And I've been thinking about that for a little while and, and we've got some efforts here at CompTIA trying to address that, but it, I think it needs to be a much larger effort. And I've got kids in school and you've got kids in school and we can see what kind of technology education they're getting. And from the vantage point that we have looking out at our industry, but also other industries that are affected by technology, it feels inadequate. It feels like we're not quite doing enough to talk about the basic building blocks of, of society here now that it's become a digital society. And I think there really needs to be a, a larger, more concerted effort to discuss what those building blocks should be, which pieces we're trying to put in, because there are already a lot of important pieces that kids get in school, and, and we're not going to extend the school days. Um, so how exactly do we weave this in? Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, you're absolutely right that um, how we're teaching our kids about some of these issues within the public schools, at least, many of the curriculum are are inadequate and inadequate on a couple of levels. They have they're they're antiquated. So many of these computer uh, you know curriculums have not changed in years. And so kids who may be super well versed on everything going on on their smartphone and their video games, et cetera, are still then learning um, very basic concepts that have not changed since I may have took, taken a computer science class when I was in school, grade school. And I see that in, in my own kids' education. And the other thing is, and I think even more importantly, is talking to them about the implications of the digital world on everything that we do. So not just the practical part about being in tech and doing tech for, for those kids who may actually want to pursue those types of careers, but for everybody to understand the possible consequences and implications of using technology, how it can influence the culture, how it influences, um, you know, the, the political world, how it can influence, the, you know, how they work, and understanding both the great opportunities that are there, but also the responsibilities as well that come with having this kind of free-flowing, you know, uh, crazy world of, of digital and the internet. Yeah, and there's, there's no controlling the, the wave of technology. I, I don't think there's much hope of that. And I think that's what's thrown so much of this into disarray is that the pace of technology 
has picked up very, very much. And, and we've got much more capability today than we did even five years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, you know, the, the phones that we have today are so much more powerful than the original smartphones uh, or the smartphones from like 2007. And we've never really seen that much uh, acceleration before. And so I think that educational systems are have been kind of tied to the behavior of society and thinking that you know there's there's going to be some kind of massive innovation or massive shift every so often and and then we'll you know try to readjust and and work with that but we're going to be in that technological era or whatever you would call it for quite a while and so we'll have some time to adjust and now there's barely any time to adjust uh and and that really extends the education demands out of you know grade school and primary and secondary education into adults into workers people that are looking for jobs people that are thinking about maybe switching jobs or uh, or just trying to get along with society I think it becomes a, a lifelong effort and so not now not only are we trying to revamp primary and secondary education but we're trying to make that the, the first step in a much more robust lifelong learning, program or concept than we've ever had before. Yeah, it's sort of the professional development on steroids, right? You know, yeah. where you might take one class once a year in your job or every couple of years to improve and get up to date on your skill set. Now, you know, with the pace of technology changing, think about it. If you're in school, you know, a kid, what happens to be the state of things in eighth grade and you think as a from a curriculum standpoint and how you talk to the students oh okay we're settled here this is how we're going to operate going forward for the next five years or whatever by the very next year this kid now has moved into ninth grade and everything the, the world as we knew it is different and that's that is not an easy thing to to address our schools are taxed to do that and, and you're right it then becomes a lifelong thing because it's got to continue your ability to adapt and adjust and understand the consequences of this kind of change, digital change, is uh, something that should be is something that needs to be on the radar of any anybody. You know, anybody in you know, no matter what the age, no matter what your educational level is, uh, anyone in the workforce, anyone not in the workforce, unless you're like off the grid, I guess, living somewhere, right. <laughs> which, which doesn't sound so bad some days. But uh, I know. <laughs> I, you know, I think. Uh, one thing that schools in particular have to be careful with, but any educational institution or organization, along with people that are uh, thinking about the skills that they need to have, everyone needs to be careful of just using the technology and thinking that the incorporation of technology is um, a large step in, in helping people get educated. Because with the amount of abstraction that's present in technology today, I think a lot of people are using technology without understanding the implications and without understanding even some of the, the best practices around it. Uh, we see this specifically when it comes to security. I know I've been part of discussions where people are talking about security education or trying to build security skills and maybe they've started up a program or a curriculum and they, they started that based on assumptions of what people would bring to the table as far as technical skills. And they find that they don't necessarily have all the technical skills to pick up the, the security curriculum on day one. Um, even though they're using this stuff day in and day out, uh, there are some basic concepts there that aren't necessarily understood. And, and so then they start having to back up. And, and again, you know, my kids, 
use quite a bit of technology uh, in their school. Um, the, the high school has Chromebooks and the, the curriculum and the programs are kind of built around those and that's a great thing, but it's not nearly sufficient. Um, I, I know talking to my kids, I can see that there are things that they don't understand and, and they know how to use it, they know how to get done what they need to get done, but they don't understand all of the implications and it's a gap that will have to be closed before they go out there and are, are really building an identity that, that could be compromised. No, I totally agree. You know, one of the research projects that CompTIA did last year um, was involved kids, and it was his quantitative study of kids um, and some focus groups with kids. And what you found was exactly that. These kids had a very, uh, they were very savvy with the consumer devices that they use, but on basic fundamentals and concepts uh, about technology, about security, about how one action with one device could affect so many other outcomes uh, with other pieces of technology that was completely lacking and that's not that I think is the piece of the curriculum as I keep emphasizing that is not there and is the piece that's going to be very important so that these youngsters when they graduate from college or, or high school and go into the workforce don't have to start you know further than square one to learn the basics so that they can do the job that they were just hired for yeah well, um, we've described the problems pretty well today. I don't know how well we started getting towards solutions, but... Uh, Let me go on my vacation, and when I come back, yeah. I, I will have spent all my time in the sun thinking about, thinking about the solutions. No, I'm serious. I think we need to continue this conversation. It's a good one. This was our deep thoughts conversation today. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, ranting about the problem is not the, you know, we can't stop there. So let's, let's think about some solutions to some of these things. And I think, you know, this may be an opportunity for us to bring in an expert or two to talk to us a little bit about what they think the solutions are as well. Yeah, there are probably people in these spaces uh, that, that are much more knowledgeable than we are. Uh, Prob that can, probably. That can probably. help educate us even more and then start getting down a path to what we could do about it. So Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your vacation. Thank you very um, much. When are and you back? Are you out all of next week? I am, yes. Oh, that's a long time. Yes, it is. Uh, um, but I'll be back, so don't worry. Okay. All right. Yes. Well, I will talk to you when you get back then, and I hope yes. you have a good one. Thanks, Seth. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.